Praise the Lord. Happy New Year. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's the benediction that was given by Moses in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. Hallelujah. And it's not only the new year, but it's also the first Sunday of the month, so we'll be uh, partaking of communion. And this is a good time to take communion, too, as we uh, dedicate ourselves to a new year. And it's my prayer that it's going to be the best year spiritually, not only for myself, but for each one of you, too. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay, I'm continuing in the series I started last Communion Sunday entitled Break Up Your Fallow Grounds. So this will be part two. That comes from uh, the scripture, Hosea chapter 10, uh, verse 12. And I've been in uh, the parable of the sower. So reading Jesus' interpretation of the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 15. Jesus has just given the parable of the sower. You know the story about the sower that went out to sow seed in his field. Some of the seed that he sowed fell upon the path or the wayside where the ground was really hard and the seed couldn't germinate, so the birds of the air came and uh, gobbled it up. And then there was a seed that fell on stony ground, and the plants began to germinate, but they had no root. And so they came up very fast, but then they dried up when the sun came out. And then there was a soil that was uh, uh, fell on thorny ground, and the thorns came up and choked the plants so that they became unfruitful. And last of all, of course, there was the seed that fell on good ground, and the plants came up and bore fruit. You know, some twentyfold. I'm, I'm sorry, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Uh, so Jesus gave the interpretation of this in Luke chapter 11 verses, I'm sorry, chapter 8 verses 11 through 15. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, and those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but have, these have no root, who believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bear no fruit to maturity. But the ones who fell on the good ground are those who having the, heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And of course, the uh, theme verse for this series, Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. Father, we come before you, and Lord, as we keep 
continue in this series, Lord, uh, for Communion Sundays on breaking up our fallow ground. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to uh, take it to heart, Lord, and uh, uh, pay heed to what the Lord told the prophet Hosea, Lord, because, Lord, our ground can grow fallow, Lord. It can grow hard. It can uh, have rocks in it, Lord, and we can allow the worries and the cares of this world to uh, uh, take over and choke out the uh, uh, the young plants as they come up and they become unfruitful. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take this message to heart and uh, put it into practice this new year. Lord, we all need to be that last kind of ground, Lord, the, the ground that uh, receives the word, Lord, with a good and noble heart and, uh, Lord, uh, bears fruit. And, Lord, I... Uh, want to bear fruit in my own personal life, and I want each person here to discover the joy it has, that they can have in bearing fruit for your kingdom too. So visit us now, Lord, with your strength and your power, and anoint these words, Lord, that I'll be speaking to your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I talked a little bit last time about the parables of Jesus, Parables of Jesus were told were stories told by Je, uh, Jesus to the public at large during the course of, course of his uh, earthly ministry to illustrate spiritual truth. Most everyone, including his disciples at first, did not understand the spiritual meaning behind them. But he later on explained the spiritual meaning to his disciples. Now this parable, the parable of the sower, was very important. It says there in Mark chapter 4 verse 13, And Jesus said to his disciples, Do you not understand this parable of the, the sower? How then will you understand all parables? So the parable of the sower is a key to understanding many of the other parables. For example, in the uh, parable of the sower, the field represents the world of humanity. The sower, the man who sowed the seed, represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he sow? He sows his word, the word of God. The soil represents the condition of the heart of the believer. Now what about, you know, I was thinking about, I don't think I brought this out last time, what do the plants represent? Well, I believe that the plants represent the image of Christ that he wants each of us to uh, bear in our lives. So you first have to be born again, and then it needs to grow. Once you be, become born again, that's only the start, right? Being born again is the, the, the first step in your Christian walk. But it doesn't end there. We need to be growing each and every day more and more in His grace. And we need to be bearing the image of Christ. The image of Christ is the same thing as the fruit of the Spirit. That's the very character of Christ, which is what each of us need to be, be displaying in our lives. The image of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the parable of the sower is mentioned in all three synoptic gospels. 
Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is a different gospel, kind of sits apart by itself. It's kind of like uh, John wrote his gospel much later, and he read through the other gospels, and he said that they were right, but they left out a lot of details he felt like uh, were very important, such as, uh, for example, the upper room uh, discourse, his high priestly prayer and a different perspective, the resurrection of Lazarus. But all three of those first Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, uh, talk about the parable of the sower. Okay, now I mentioned also last time I heard a speaker at uh, Central Assembly in Elkhorn, California, which was my hometown, and he talked about the uh, parable of the sower. And I'd never really heard anybody speak on it, But he spent a whole uh, message just on one aspect of the parable of the sower. I think it was the uh, uh, seed that fell on uh, the thorny ground. And I was just amazed at the depth of teaching. You know, I like uh, teaching that's got a lot of meat in it. You know, I'm not so much, you know, a, a milkman. You know, that is, uh, you know, like the milk of the word. I like the meat of the word. And that's what he did. And so, you know, when I started preparing this, you know, I started really thinking about it, you know, and I just gleaned a lot of really good insights, and that's what I'm sharing with you, too. Okay, now Jesus gave the explanation of the parable to his disciples, and we find accounts to these, again, in all three synoptic gospels, uh, Matthew chapter 13, Mark 4, and Luke chapter 8. And Jesus interpreted it like this, that the seed that fell on the path or the wayside, which is very hard, you know, from people walking up and down on it, was too hard. And that represents the person that hears the word, but because of their hardness of heart, the seeds never get a chance to germinate. And what happens? The birds of the air come and devour it, and Jesus said, this is the wicked one. You know, I mentioned last time that the birds often in Scripture represent the enemy, Satan and his minions. And that which uh, germinates on rocky ground is that which germinates, but it's got rocks in there. The soil is very shallow, so uh, the plants uh, dry up. And that represents the, uh, Jesus said, the worry, uh, I'm sorry, not the worries, the, the uh Uh, persecution and tribulation and we're also going to see it means temptation too and uh, the plants dry up they don't continue on and mature the seed that germinates on thorny ground that germinates but the worries and cares uh, choke it out and the plants are unfruitful so they don't bear the fruit of the spirit and the seeds that fall in good soil spring up And they bear much fruit. Now I mentioned last time, each person is responsible for the condition of his or her heart. Everybody say that with me. I am responsible for the condition of my heart. And if your heart is not right, that's where break up your fallow ground uh, comes into play. 
you break up that ground so it, that it will receive the word of God. Now, some further insights on the, this parable of the sower. Well, the initial reading of the parable of the sower indicates a kind of one-shot deal uh, that the sower sows the seed once and for all. The truth is that Jesus is constantly sowing the seed of the word, hoping it will gener uh, germinate in our hearts. And this is nowhere true, more true than here in the United States, where we have a constant exposure to the Word of God. Every Sunday I come here and I preach to you the Word of God. And it's up to you to make sure that your heart is ready to receive it before you come here. That's why you pray. I hope you're praying ahead of time before you come to church that your heart would be ready and open to receive it. And there's so many other ways that we can get the Word of God too. The Word of God is all over the airways. Airwaves. It's all over the radio. You know, I go into my uh, channel lineup. You know, I've got uh, DirecTV. And there's just all kinds of places where you can turn in, tune in and hear the Word of God. And Jesus' warning is that sometimes we get overexposed to the Word of God when we're not ready to receive it with an open heart. And Jesus said right in the middle of the, uh, when he's giving the interpretation of these parables, and he's speaking of the people of Israel who spurned the Word of God. They spurned the word of God in the wilderness. They saw so much of what God was doing, but they didn't pay attention to it. They saw all of his miracles, but they didn't receive the word into their hearts. And so Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. And he says, And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. The hearts of these people have grown dull. I pray that it's not true of anybody in here, that nobody's heart in here is growing dull from hearing the word of God and not putting it into practice. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and lest they under, should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Jesus wants to send out healing power in this room. He wants to heal our hearts because our hearts can grow dull. Our hearts can become hardened. And he does not want that. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 14 and 15. Now, the writer of Hebrews further illustrates this. He quotes in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And by the way, he, he's quoting a passage out of Psalm 95. He's, he writes, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and here's the quote, 
Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter into my rest. And so our hearts can become hard, just like the sea that fell on the wayside, on the path, the hardened ground. That's why we've got to continually break it up. Break up your fallow ground, brothers and sisters. That's God's word for us. Amen? So the same thing can happen to us and not with just those that initially reject the word because of unbelief. And that's the hard soil on the, the wayside. Our hearts can grow hard too. And by the way, uh, I might add this thing. This is the reason why uh, Jesus told us to go into all the world. You see, here in America, we're oversaturated with the Word of God. Again, you know, we've got it here in this church, and we've got it over the airwaves. You know, there's so many Christian TV stations where you can tune in to the Word of God, and radio stations when you can tune in and hear the Word of God. But, you know, I once heard this expression that no one has the right to hear the gospel twice or many more times when there are people in this world that have not even heard it once. You go to Dolly's home country of Thailand, there's very little of the Word of God. You know, when I first got there, uh, when I did my first missionary trip way back in... uh, uh, 1977, then later on my uh, uh, wife at the time and I went over, brought our family over, and they said that out of 60 million people in the country of Thailand, only 60,000 or one-tenth of one percent were Christians. And so they were not saturated. You would go, go up to people and uh, try to talk to them about Jesus, and they never even heard his name, let alone heard the gospel. You know, I, I know what I'm talking about. That's why I went over there. That's why I believe that God called me to, to go there some 45 years ago. And by the time, uh, at this time, I'm happy to say that in that nation of Thailand, it's, uh, the church has grown about sixfold. There's about maybe 600,000 Christians there. Again, you know, the population hasn't increased uh, appreciably from the 60 million, but they're still up to about 1% now. But there's still a great need over there. And that's why we support uh, missionaries there. And we support other missionaries throughout the world, too. That's the whole reason for doing it. Okay, today, so much for the hard ground. Today I'm going to cover the second kind of ground, which is called the rocky soil. And I'm going to read all three passages where Jesus gives the interpretation of what the rocky soil represents. Uh, 
Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. Jesus said, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. Again, endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Mark chapter uh, 4 verse 17. And they have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution uh, arises for the uh, word's sake, immediately they stumble. And finally, there's Luke chapter 8, verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and, the, but, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now, what exactly do the rocks in this soil here represent? You know, I never delved into it very much, but I decided to do a little bit of research on the words that are used here for what the rocks represent in preparation for this message. And I was amazed when I did. Both Mark and Matthew mention persecution. What do they mean? What do they mean by persecution? Well, they mean... Just what it says. Persecution. That people suffer persecution. You know, you don't see persecution that much here in America. But it's getting worse. You know, if you pay attention to the news, you'll find out that people are turning against Christianity and more and more. In particular, they're coming against us with our stand that we uh, are taking against abortion and this radical gen gen uh, gender ideology that I've mentioned before. Now, this word for persecution that's uh, contained there in Matthew and Mark is also the used word that uh, Timoth uh, Paul uses when he writes to uh, his disciple Timothy. In 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Yes, and all who will live godly, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. Now again, it's not so much what we have here in America, but in the past. Remember when Jesus said these words to his disciples. Did you know that every one of those twelve apostles was martyred for the cause of the gospel. Every one of them, except for John the Apostle. And not so, maybe not so coincidentally, John was the only one that didn't completely abandon Jesus when he was crucified. He was the only one that stood there at the foot of the cross. But you know, they tried to kill him too. Church tradition says that uh, the Roman emperor tried to kill him by having him immersed into a pot of boiling oil. You know what happened? He wouldn't die. God protected him. 
Because God was not finished with him. You know, the day that you die, it's going to be the day that God is finished with you. But he's not finished with you now. So we got to be busy and do as much as we can for the kingdom of God until the, di- the day that he takes us home. So, John himself suffered persecution. They couldn't kill him. So what did they do? They exiled him to the Isle of Patmos. And it's there that he wrote the, had the vision and he wrote the book of Revelation. Not to mention his gospel and his uh, three epistles too. That all happened afterward. But all the rest of the twelve apostles all died. Peter was crucified upside down. He said, uh, you know, they're going to crucify him. He says, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. So they crucified him upside down. The apostle Paul was beheaded. They wouldn't crucify him because he was a Roman citizen. So they lopped off his head. And all the rest of the other 12 apostles all died a martyr's death. They were all persecuted for the gospel's sake. And persecution is going on today, brothers and sisters. You go into communistic lands. People are being killed for the faith. They're being imprisoned, especially in communistic countries, but even more so with Muslim lands. How I many you know what happened to Afghanistan? Right after the Taliban took over again, they were going door to door and looking for Christians. Christians that they could imprison and Christians that they could kill. So persecution, very severe persecution is going on today. We've got a good over here in America. But the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy hold true. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Okay, so what about the word, uh, other word there, tribulation? That's used in those first two Gospels. It's the word which is translated as crowding in Mark chapter 3 verse 9. Narrow in Matthew chapter 7 verse 14. You know where Jesus said uh, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life eternal. Broad is the path and easy is the way that leads to destruction. Okay, so narrow down, narrow path. Translated as pressed in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 8. And as tribulation in the great tribulation in Revelation chapter 7 verse 14. These have the connotation of being pressed inward due to external circumstances. So this could be... The trials that we undergo in life. You know, sometimes we undergo sickness. Sometimes we undergo financial difficulties. Sometimes we lose a loved one. Many people I've read, uh, uh, you know, this has been true of them. They lost someone very important to their life early in life. And they fell away because they blamed God. 
They became embittered towards God. Why did you take so-and-so away from me? Why am I experiencing all this sickness, you know, and uh, weakness and everything? God, you know, why won't you heal me? They become embittered towards God. So we need to guard against these. Don't become bitter and resentful towards God because of these pressing circumstances in our lives. And instead use them to draw closer to the Lord. And you trust. This is where faith comes in, brothers and sisters. Faith. You trust God that in spite of all these circumstances, you're going to stay close to God. So these tribulations are designed to make you better. But so many people, they don't make them better, they make them bitter. So bitter or better, which do you want to be? The choice is yours. Now what about Luke's version here? Luke uses a different word than uh, Matthew and uh, uh, Mark. He kind of sums up both words, persecution and tribulation, by calling it temptation or a period of testing. Now the interesting thing about this word here in Luke, temptation, is it's the same word that's used for the temptation of Jesus by the devil. And it's also used, we're going to see this in just a minute, it's used in James chapter uh, 1, verses 12 through 15. We're going to look closely at that passage in a few minutes. So my application here is the rocks, in addition to the outward pressing of circumstances in life, might also refer to the sins in our life. The temptations that we have to sin. And we need to get rid of the rocks. Can you say amen to that? We need to get rid of those rocks of temptation. Because the deeper in life that we go, the bigger they, they can get. You know, these will crowd out the Word of God in our life. And nobody wants that. Now, you know, when I, I took over as pastor here at the uh, church, I didn't realize that uh, weed control was going to be in my job description. But it is. You know, I took a, that first spring, right after I took over, I looked over and I saw all the weeds that were growing. And you know what? That's, that's a poor witness, isn't it? How many of you know that weeds growing on our uh, property around here is a poor witness? So I started uh, uh, getting rid of the tumbleweeds first. I hate tumbleweeds. I hated them since I was a kid. And then I moved on to the prickly lettuce and ultimately to the goat heads. And, uh, you know... I used a weed whacker the first spring there, but I, I, it occurred to me that if I used a weed whacker after they've all gone to seed, all I do is spread the seeds around. So I started using a shovel to dig them up too. And uh, 
you know, I would find out, you know, I'd be used at uh, spade and I'd go clunk. And what did I hit? I hit rocks there and dro drove me wild. There's a bunch of uh, little rocks that are all around the, uh, uh, the buildings over here. Because you see where when they uh, put the buildings up there, they poured the concrete. And you know what? They were sloppy. And they spread all of these little rocks, you know, the little ones like that that they all put in concrete to, you know, help uh, uh, give it, uh, uh, you know, strength. And so I started uh, uh, picking the, up the rocks one at a time, and I put them all in a big tub. If anybody wants any rocks, I've got a whole big plastic tub, you know, about this big, full of them. You know, you can have them if you want them, but I'm, uh, what I'm doing now is I'm gradually throwing them into the parking lot, which is where we want them. And instead of picking them up one at a time, I hit on another idea. I said, why don't you just rake them into piles, and that way I can get rid of them a lot uh, quicker. So that's what I'm doing now. And uh, especially if you go around the clubhouse and in, in between the shed and the new building over there, there's just thousands and thousands of them. But I'd be out in the, the, the rest of the, uh, the lot out there, and I found a lot of other rocks in there, too. So I picked those up because I, you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to grow some stuff on our property. You know, the only thing, we're, we're sitting on about a half an acre of uh, land here, and the only thing we're growing is weeds. You know, why not get something that's uh, productive, like tomato plants, or maybe, you know, Dolly loves uh, uh, sunflowers, something like that. But you got to get rid of the rocks, you know, to help uh, things grow. So anyway, what I'm saying is, over by the road, rose bush, I I found a rock, and I said, okay, well I'll get rid of the rock. And so I started digging down. I was trying to get underneath it, and I dug down and I dug down and I dug down, and I got about a foot or 15 inches down there, and I said to myself, hey, this is no ordinary rock. This is more like a boulder that's about two feet in diameter. And it occurred to me, I can't get rid of this thing. It's just, uh, even if I got underneath it, it's too heavy for me to, to uh, lift. And so, you know, it still sits over there. I said to myself, the only way I'm going to get rid of this rock is with a backhoe. And we don't have a backhoe, do we? We, we used to have one. You know, the, Randy used to drive it around, but we don't have it anymore. And that's the way that sin can become in our life. The further deeper that we go in life, the more entrenched. And then you have to come to the place where you say, God, I can't get rid of this by myself. I've got to rely on you. I've got to have you take the, a backhoe spiritually speaking, to get rid of that rock in my life. And so, we've, that's when you come to the realization that you can't do it on your own. You've got to have uh, God's help. The writer of Hebrews wrote there in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, you can get deceived. If you allow sin in your life, you can get deceived. 
The devil will plant seed, uh, plant seeds of doubt in your mind. Oh, you can't do, you can't get rid of this sin. You're, you're, you'll never be able to do it. And he, he's right in a way. You can't do it on your own. You've got to have God you take a backhoe to your spiritual life. Now, Chuck Swindoll, I've quoted this for you before. He said, be careful that you do not traffic in unlived truth. And that's what this series is about here. About the parable of the sower. We want to live the truth that we hear. Amen? And many times we harbor some secret sin in our life that we can't seem to get the victory over. Some people would call it a character defect or a character weakness. One time, my final year of Bible college, I remember hearing the worship leader talk about a defilement in your spirit. We need to get rid of all the defilements of our spirit, all the rocks that are in our life. Amen? Now you picture, one day you open your front door and you see this little kitten there. And the kitten goes, meow, meow, you know. And you feel sorry for it, so you, you know, put out a bowl and pour in some milk. Keep doing this every day. And after a period of time, that kitten grows into a cat. So you start feeding it solid food. And time goes by, time goes by. You keep feeding that cat. And one day you open up your door and there's a roaring lion there. The Word of God says, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil... As a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So that sin will continue to get bigger and bigger in your life until you deal with it. Ralph Waldo Emerson once wrote, and you know, he was a great poet, and he once wrote, Sow a thought, reap an act. So an act, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. So if you let things go, that secret sin will take over your life. It won't get any easier the later that you go in life. So take care of it now. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 19, verse 13. He said, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. What are presumptuous sins? They're sins, right? The psalmist calls them sins. Presumptuous comes from the word presume. That is, you presume it'll be okay that this is just a little sin. But again, that little sin will grow and grow and grow. You presume that God's going to forgive you, but in the process, you're destroying your life. You're destroying your character. Keep back your servant from presumptuous, that is, willful sins. Sins that you do 
knowing that they are sin, but you go on ahead and do it anyway because you presume it's going to be all okay. But the psalmist says, keep back your servant from these willful sins. And then he says, let them not have dominion over me. And then I will be, shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Ed Cole, Edwin Lewis Cole, he had a wonderful uh, men's ministry, really influenced me a lot, but I can remember him saying over and over again, sin promises to please and serve, but always ends up enslaving and dominating. You give in to that sin, it's going to eventually dominate you. And also that quote that I've given you before, Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you really want to pay. Sin always has consequences. Now, I mentioned a passage in James chapter 1, and reading through from verses uh, uh, 12 through 15 of James chapter 1. James writes, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Everybody is tempted. Anybody out there that never has been tempted? All of us get tempted. For when he has been approved, that is, he overcomes the temptation, <clears throat> he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Incidentally, this word for temptation is the same word that Luke used there of the rocks. Back in Luke chapter 8, verse, uh, I believe it's uh, 13. Same word. In verse 13 of uh, James chapter 1. Let no man say when he is tempted. Again, same word. When he's tempted. I am tempted for God, for God cannot be tempted by, by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted. Again, that's the same word as Luke uh, chapter 8. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's the end result of giving in to sin. Now, death there doesn't necessarily mean physical, but it's talking about spiritual death. And here's what happens. You give in to the temptations. Every time you give in to those temptations and sin... Your desire for God dies a little bit. Your desire to get free from that sin dies a little bit. Your faith dies a little bit. Your conscience dies a little bit. You know, this is a solemn warning, brothers and sisters. You get tempted to sin, don't give in to it. Instead, spurn it. Get the victory over it. So you might ask, how do I get rid of these rocks that is the sin in my life? 
Now I'm talking about the things that you can control. There are things that are beyond control. Dolly can't control the fact that her mother passed away just a few days ago. Can't control that. But somebody once said that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you react. So react in the proper fashion. And the way that you get rid of these, this sin is allow your mind to be renewed by the word of God. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 verse 12, he said, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind is renewed by the word of God. So that's how you learn to think God's thoughts and not the world's thoughts, not your own thoughts. So therefore, learn to arm yourself with the word of God as much as you can. And that includes memorizing it. You know, during my final year of Bible college, we used to have different speakers that would come in and speak to the uh, student body during the chapel hour. And they would usually stay on for about a week and talk every day during chapel hour plus uh, also Sunday afternoon and also Wednesday, uh, or I think it was Thursday, either Wednesday or Thursday evening. So they would speak about, you know, maybe seven times. And we one week we had this woman came in. Uh, her name was Jean Firth. I'd never heard of her before or since. But I remember one illustration. She was a missionary down in South America. And she contracted tuberculosis and she was dying. She knew her time on earth was really limited. And so one night she got up in the middle of the night, went down and sat down on a chair. And she was thinking about how unfair it was that she was uh, still a young woman, still had many years of productive ministry ahead of her. But it was going to be taken from her. And then instead of blaming God, she started blaming the devil. And she made like uh, uh, the devil himself was sitting in a chair across the room from her. And she began to fire scriptures at this chair, which represented the devil to her. And she fired scripture after scripture. The Spirit of God brought these scriptures to her mind. And she said this went on for maybe hours. And then suddenly she heard this sound, it sounded like a buzzing of bees, and she felt that tuberculosis just lift right off of her, and she was healed. And she cried out and said, oh my God, what happened? And the Lord gave her the vision of a rock that was being pounded again and again by a sledgehammer until it finally crumbled away. You know, I don't remember her sharing this scripture, but I ran into this later on. It's Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. Is not my word like a fire 
says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. That's what the Word of God is. You're troubled with temptation, you pound away at the devil with all the scriptures that you can muster. And hopefully that will break down the rock if, if there's a uh, uh, something really big in your life, it'll break it away. Now we know that the Lord Jesus, how did the Lord Jesus Christ overcome uh, temptation in the wilderness? How did he do that? Through scripture. That's how you get rid of that temptation in your life too. You just have to know the scripture, number one, and number two, be willing to wield it. So, you know the Word of God. Gnosko, experiential knowledge. Don't just read it or even memorize it, but claim it as a Word of God for you personally, the Rhema Word. The God of, uh, to the nation of Israel. You know, Israel fell grievously in its history. They started worshiping these idols, these foreign gods, even practicing the despicable practices of the heathen nation, having temple prostitutes, erecting temples to these heathen gods, and having prostitutes there, and even having their children pass through the fire, practicing child sacrifice. And God was angry with them, sent them on into exile. And the first generation exile was a man by the name of Ezekiel. He was a priest. And he wrote this book. I suggest that you read it sometime. The book of Ezekiel. And he wrote in chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. This is after the judgment of God. And God told him, uh, Ezekiel to tell the children of Israel, the exiles. He says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will take that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So how many of you want to have a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone? How many of you want to have tender hearts Pliable, ready to be used by Him. He will give you that if you just ask Him and allow Him to break up that fallow ground in your heart and remove the rocks in it. Now, some concluding thoughts. I'm almost finished here. As I meditated on this this past week, the more I thought about it more and more, the root cause of so many of the rocks in our lives with regards to these tribulations are because of our own narcissism. You see, narcissism? What's narcissism, Pastor Cliff? Well, 
It comes from uh, a figure in Greek mythology. His name was Narcissus. And he was, in, in the story, their, their, their myth, he was an exceptionally handsome young man. Could have any woman that he wanted. But you know what happened to him? He gazed at his reflection in a pool. And he fell in love with his reflection. He fell in love with himself. And he had no room for anybody else. And he spent his whole life just looking at his reflection. And that's so typical. You know, the, the, the children, you know, little kids, they're the ultimate narcissist, right? They're only considered about themselves and their needs and their wants, whatever they want. Then hopefully, you know, as they get older, they lose that. And they begin to look out, they, they see the world around them, the world of people. And hopefully they find their way to God. But you know something? Some people never grow up. They stay in love with themselves for their entire lives. And we've all known people like that, right? Amen. It's true. So a narcissist is someone that is selfish and is preoccupied with themselves and their own desires. And I think all of us suffer from narcissism uh, to a certain extent. Uh, some much more than others. You know, I've been reading in the last uh, few weeks a story, or, or a book on addictions. You know, I, I had my own struggle with addictions, and I've shared with you on that you know, I struggled with alcoholism for a number of years. And then seven, 17 years ago, God came by and got rid of that rock of my alcoholism with a backhoe. And I've had the victory now for 17 years. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But in this book of, of by addictions... The author of the book, who's got a, uh, a ministry for helping people deal with their addictions. And he said, I think it's in the very first chapter, he starts dealing. He says, I, you know, our ministry is not so much dealing with the symptoms of your problem. It's dealing with the root problem. And you know the root problem of why you're addicted? It's your narcissism. You're so preoccupied with the needs that you have in your own life that you don't care that you're destroying your life and those around you. You're a narcissist. And until you deal with that narcissism, you're never going to get the victory. One of the... Uh, young men that had been really helped by this ministry talked about this and he said that he was there you know he was sitting with his counselor and his counselor asked him you know Jordan what's the idol in your life and he was kind of taken aback by the uh, uh, question and he said I, I don't know uh, you know uh, um, you know maybe my car 
maybe hockey. I guess he liked hockey. You know, with me, it's more baseball and football. But he, you know, came up with these things. And he walked out of the counselor's office. He got partly down the hall. And it hit him. You know what his idol was? His idol was himself. And that was the breakthrough that he needed to overcome that addiction. And it's my prayer that if anybody is suffering from excessively from narcissism, that you'll get the victory over that. That God would reveal that to you. And that's what, you know, what I've been talking about with the crucified living, right? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You get your eyes off yourself and your own needs and upon Christ. And Christ will help you see the needs of others. You know, it's not just the sins, too. It's other problems that I've mentioned before. I've mentioned sickness or, uh, you know, death of a loved one or um, uh, financial difficulties. And you say, well, poor me. Why is this happening to such a good person? You're narcissistic. Narcissic. That, that's a narcissistic attitude. I'll get it out. That's a, that's a hard word. That's, that's, that's a, you know, attitude that's preoccupied with yourself. Instead of looking at the problem and being, feeling sorry for yourself. Same thing, you know, if somebody slights you, you know, somebody does a, a, a bad thing to you. You get embittered towards that person. How could she say that about me? How could he do this to me? You're preoccupied with yourself. Start looking to God instead and see that God is testing you and wants you to turn to Him. Okay. So, the whole thing about this series is break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till He comes and rains righteousness on you. Now one thing I haven't mentioned, without rain or water, can the plants grow? The sower puts out the, sow, uh, the seed in the soil, but what's it need? It needs water, right? What is the water? The water is the Holy Spirit. So you need to pray for that rain in order to germinate. In order for that image of Christ in you to really spring up and produce fruit. So God's word to us is break up your fallow ground. Fallow ground gets hard and impervious after a while. And so we need to break up that fallow ground of our hearts so that they are not hard. We need to plow it over and we need to dig out the rocks and let God give us that heart of flesh and not of stone. So the scripture tells us to break it up. That implies action on your part. You're the one, again, responsible for the condition of your heart.